Welcome to the SG Engage podcast, where it's all social good all the time. Sit back and relax as the brightest minds from across the social good community engage with trends, big ideas, and best practices to help you drive impact. Today's episode features an excerpt from a session of the SG Engage Rethinking Change webinar series. In the episode, you'll hear from Anne Converse Wilcombe, Assistant Dean of the Graduate College at Drexel University, about the interpersonal skills that are key for today's workplace. You can hear the full webinar and also read her chapter in our Working in a Changing World ebook by clicking on the links in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. I'm excited to uh, to be here today, and thank you to BlackBod for inviting me. Uh, so just a little bit more about me. I, while I live in the greater Philadelphia area, my hometown is Kennebunk, Maine. Not, not truly a Mainer, I was not born there. I've been at Drexel for about four and a half years, and as Christine mentioned, I developed and oversee the MS and nonprofit management program because I really believe in building sustainable nonprofits to benefit the common good. I also write a weekly blog, And much of what I'm going to talk today comes from that blog. Uh, It's really for working professionals on topics such as leadership, innovation, communication, and professional development. And a little personal, I have a rescue pup named Sadie, who uh, is sort of the neighborhood uh, hero, uh, and a kitty cat named Mimi, who is also a rescue. So without further ado, we will get started. So today we're going to cover a range of topics all related to interpersonal communication. To be successful in today's workplace, social professionals like yourselves really need to develop and enhance your interpersonal skills. Now, while communication skills really are a form of interpersonal skills, I'm sort of separating them today for the purposes of our conversation. There are really hundreds of interpersonal skills that we could discuss, but today we're really going to focus on these five because they're really highly relevant to the way many of us are working remotely. So we're going to focus on adaptability, empathy, creativity, collaboration, and related to collaboration, brainstorming. And then we're going to look at best practices uh, for communication skills, and some of these, you know, sort of general best practices, as well as best practices that are really associated more with working virtually. So let's dive into interpersonal skills. So interpersonal skills really are those skills that we use in all of our interactions with other human beings, and they include over a hundred different skills, such as body language, conflict resolution, customer service, decision-making, negotiation, and one of my personal favorites, reflection. But today we're going to focus again on these five, adaptability, empathy, creativity, collaboration, and brainstorming. And again, I'm really not prioritizing these five over others other than I think they are just really especially important or you need to shift a little bit because we're all working or many of us are working in a virtual environment. So the first is adaptability. What does adaptability really mean? Well, it means being flexible, not getting upset when things don't go as planned. And it it also means a willingness to change roles suddenly or over a longer period of time. It usually requires that you listen to others and that you be open-minded. And I really want to stress the latter because When we're open-minded, we can see things more clearly from another perspective, which is really empathy, which 
you know, often means we can turn something negative into an opportunity. For example, when a donor shows up really upset because a program that they have traditionally supported is going to cease and they're going to threaten to pull their donation, when we can listen and if we're open-minded, we might actually be able to help the donor re-envision their gift. But we have to be able to listen first and then think outside the box to find a way to re-engage with the donor. So how can we be more adaptable? First, stay calm. Really don't let a sudden shift throw you for a loop and react poorly. Reacting is usually bad. So stop, stay calm, think, and proceed with caution. For example, if the board fires your executive director, the worst thing you can do as a director of development is to flip out and start calling donors, colleagues, etc. You really need to gather facts and you need to proceed with caution. You also have to remember that you are always supposed to represent the organization. Then you want to think strategically. So what are the next steps for the organization? You want to be prepared to talk and collaborate with others, but avoid finger pointing or dismissive behavior. You really want to give everybody a voice. And finally, you want to be prepared to take on other roles as necessary. This may be on a short-term basis or even a longer-term basis. For example, I sit on the board of WEPAC, uh, the West Philadelphia Alliance for Children, and our executive director is resigning. And, you know, as the board, we have to, you know, adapt. And for that, it means that some of us are going to take on larger roles. And one of the board members is actually going to step in as the interim director. So it, you know, it's going to be short term, but it's going to be a full, almost a full-time gig for a short-term period. So again, be open-minded to the possibilities because you may even actually learn new skills. So I have to say, we, we often associate being adaptable with negative changes, such as RED resigning, but we also need to be adaptable with positive changes. So for example, if a nonprofit gets a, a new big donor who suddenly wants to build a building, this is a good thing. But it will also mean that there are many changes that will need to happen. You might need to have a committee established to look at the building, determine the size, the structure, the purpose. It'll mean hiring professionals to carry out that work and managing those professionals. And then there's added communication. You get the drift. The list goes on. But everyone has to adapt, and that's a very positive thing. So being adaptable really is a huge asset to, to the organization. So I mentioned empathy a moment ago, and empathy is something that I've really spoken and written about a fair amount over the years. And it's really a crucial skill for leaders, and, and it's, it's important as a basic interpersonal skill uh, as we interact with colleagues and donors and other stakeholders. So what exactly is empathy? I think it often gets associated or, or used synonymously with sympathy, but they are different. So empathy is really the ability to see a situation or response from someone else's perspective. In other words, it's your ability to walk in someone else's shoes. Empathy is needed to engage with your team. It's needed to avoid team disruptions. It's needed to work through solutions. It's needed to be supportive to help your team grow. And it's also needed to be innovative. Without empathy, people's voices are not heard. Resentment can build, dysfunction can set in, and then there's a loss of productivity. To ensure you're being empathetic 
At your next meeting, pay special attention to those who are maybe not often quite as vocal. Maybe they're reluctant to speak, so maybe you could encourage them to speak. But also try to understand what it must be like to be fearful of speaking or lacking enough confidence to speak. Then give them space to speak. Be encouraging and truly listen to their words and their sentiment. Don't cut them down or be dismissive because that's probably why they don't want to speak to begin with. And then continue to listen. And again, don't interrupt. Don't let others interrupt. In these moments, you're being empathetic and you're also helping that colleague to grow. Creativity is, uh, I think, really an offshoot of adaptability. When we adapt to a situation, it often requires that we're creative, i.e. finding a creative solution. So this means thinking outside the box. And I, I really feel this phrase is so overused, but yet it's really accurate. When we have to think outside the walls and the silos that we've built to solve problems, things can happen. Uh, and, and our virtual world has certainly shown us this as nonprofits and other socially good organizations that have had to suddenly shift. So let me give you an example. My son uh, worked with Camp Kesson during his last two years of college. It's a camp that provides a free week of summer camp to children who have either a parent or both parents who are battling cancer. And Camp Kesson has been launched across all across the U.S. and in colleges and universities. And so this past summer, you know, they had to to suddenly shift. The previous year had been face-to-face. It was really a life-changing event, not just for the children that participated, but also for all of these college um, students who were camp counselors and organizing it over the course of the year. So again, this past summer, they had to figure out how to hold this camp virtually. And you want to talk about adapting. But This also meant being creative and figuring out ways to engage with the kids so that they could still have a really rewarding experience. And being creative also means thinking to the future and being able to see trends and respond to those trends in in real time. And while this may sound obvious, it, it also means being open to new ways and new ideas. How often have you worked with a colleague who believes that they are incredibly creative, but then they shoot down every new idea? And finally, you can't view failure as the end. I love the Dyson vacuum cleaner commercial in which they, I don't know that they air it now, but it used to be airing. And, um, you know, they talked about how they learned 4,000 some odd ways about how not to build the most, uh, you know, incredible vacuum. Uh, So when an idea doesn't work, View it as an opportunity to continue to move forward and learn from each step along the way. The next is collaboration, another essential skill, especially in today's workplace. Yet it's kind of can be a little bit more difficult to collaborate. But before we get to that, collaborating with colleagues is important to solve problems as they arise, to react to shifting trends um, within a specific sector to move the organization into the future and to be more innovative. So again, I'm gonna gonna give you an example from my board position for the West Philadelphia Alliance for Children, as I mentioned before, also known as WEPAC. The organization's mission is to promote literacy by engaging volunteers in the Philadelphia public schools through the opening and reopening of uh, the the closed school libraries, which is all due to funding cuts. With the closing of the schools last March and the hybrid operation this fall, WEPAC has been in the process of reimagining our mission. 
we're doing this through the board and in a collaborative manner, but we're also engaging with our volunteers and our community to determine if our mission needs to shift in any way based on the current and future status of, of education. For example, will library and art have to give way permanently or for a long period of time to math, science, and grammar because the students will be so far behind due to the loss of time in the classroom? It's really going to take a collaborative effort to make this determination. And, and we want to find an innovative, innovative way to get books into the hands of children. So as I mentioned, brainstorming is really an element of collaboration. And, and I'll admit, it, it, it is a little harder, as I said, it, to brainstorm via Zoom than it is in a face-to-face -face meeting, in a conference room, with a whiteboard, with food. <laughs> um, so they're both similar in the way that, you know, you, you want to start with a goal and you want to understand what it is you're trying to achieve and what problem you're trying to solve. In a face-to-face -face brainstorming session, you really want to ensure that you can devote meaningful chunk of time. I would say at least an hour and a half, two hours would be preferable. You also want to be free of distractions, such as phone calls and emails. And personally, I think it's important to provide a space for people to draw. I'm a visual person, so I have to sketch things out to see them and, and to understand what other people are thinking. But it also involves listening to one another. And when you have a thought, and oh, gosh, I'm always guilty of this. I, I'm always the, ooh, 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 ooh. I, you know, I want to interrupt because I have this grand idea. But write it down. Try not to interrupt. Just scribble your idea down so that you don't forget it. And I think it's also really, really important to avoid the word no. If, if we're in a, in, a, you know, in a brainstorming session and you say to me, you know, oh, Anne, I think we should do X. And I go, no, mm -mm, that won't work. I, that's really dismissive. And your next idea, you're going to be less willing to share it. And your next idea might be the most brilliant idea ever. So really avoid the word no. Use phrases such as, hmm, I'm not sure. And like continue to tease it out. Or what about things like that? Now, in a virtual brainstorming session, I really advise sending the goals out in advance and asking participants to review and kind of arrive with at least one idea. You want to encourage maybe a little chaos, ask people to post comments and questions in a chat uh, as people are speaking, and but have someone who can dedicate themselves to the chat, monitor it, and, you know, bring up the questions, uh, et cetera. And again, you know, you want to avoid any negative comments because you really want to encourage the dialogue. And regardless of the locale, whether you're face-to-face -face in you know, your favorite conference room or it's virtual on Zoom or some other platform, you really can't expect to have a fully fleshed out plan after one meeting. The, the idea is really just to get the creative juices flowing and then circle back. And again, you, know, you can keep doing that until you have a fully fleshed out idea. So let's turn our attention now to communication skills as I said, they are an interpersonal skill, but I separated them out for the purposes of this meeting. So as I noted, there are really five key elements for both personal and professional communication skills. The first is nonverbal communication, such as eye contact, body language, hand gestures, facial responses, etc. Second is verbal communication, which is not simply the words you choose to use, but also the intonation, the pitch of your voice, how well, how fast you speak, and finally the syntax and how you put the words together. 
So if I start speaking really, really fast, that's going to convey something. Maybe I'm nervous. Uh, maybe I'm in a hurry. If I speak really high up here, that could can you know convey something as well. So you you know you do have to think about how you you convey what you're saying. The third element is writing. Similar to verbal communication, writing it's more than just the words that you put on the paper. It's how you string those words together, the tone of the language, the use of punctuation, as well as the knowledge and use of grammar. Fourth is visual communication. This refers to using imagery to convey meaning, such as the use of design, such as infographics, or the use of basic design principles, or the trashing of those principles, which sometimes you want to do and do, you know, purposefully. And finally, listening. The key element of listening is active listening. And to actively listen is to pay close attention to the person speaking. Sometimes that means reiterating, reiterating what the person is saying. So, oh, okay, Mary, I heard you say X, but you also have to be, avoid being distracted. So you can't look from, you know, one group of people in the room to another group of people or look out the window. You really want to pay attention to the other person so that they're undivided. They have your undivided attention. So when one is a good communicator, it can really help them avoid, you know, team breakdowns and resentment and distrust within the team. And then, of course, the organization. If a leader doesn't possess good communication skills, their team will really suffer the results. You know, a few years ago, I watched a team that was such a cohesive, well-oiled group fall apart when their leader resigned and a new leader was brought in. The new leader was not as transparent really didn't make an effort to communicate with the team as a unit and often was just not present with the team. And, you know, while the team still respected one another, it started to fall apart. And, you know, one tried to vie to be heard more and others just started falling back and, you know, just feeling underappreciated and others just talked about the old boss and it was really unproductive and unnecessary the new leader needed to exhibit strong communication skills to secure the team and make them feel safe and protected while also giving them room to grow and flourish. And this begins and it ends with good communication. So I decided to break communication best practices really into two separate buckets, sort of the general best practices and then those are, that are associated really more with with how we're all working virtually, or many of us are working virtually these days. So we'll begin with the best practices, general best practices for communication. And there's a long list of best practices, but we're going to focus on four, listening, transparency, and then both written and verbal skills. So let's look at each of these in just a little bit more detail. So let's begin with listening. I've already stated that listening is in a really important skill, especially active listening. And as a reminder, active listening is a form of listening in which the listener pushes aside all distractions and focuses on what the other person is saying, often repeating back what they're saying just to make sure that they fully understand. And it's important because one cannot actively listen if they're looking distracted or disinterested. And that really erodes away at trust with the other individual, let alone if you're distracted, you really might miss something that's of great consequence. 
So I encourage you to practice active listening. It is a little harder than you think, especially if you tend to be, to enjoy people watching. Next is strong verbal skills. It's really key to speak concisely and effectively to get your message or your point across. Long, drawn-out verbal diatribes will leave teams or listeners feeling bored or discouraged. You want to speak clearly, speak with a consistent speed. As I said before, if you speed up here, you know, you talk really fast at one point, and then you're really slowing down, going very slowly. It's really awkward for anyone who's listening. So keep a consistent speed, not too fast and not too slow. And keep the pitch of your voice consistent, using a higher or lower voice for emphasis only when it's necessary. So transparency may not seem like a communication skill, but it's all about what you are not saying. When you are not transparent, your colleagues or people under you will find the perceived gaps and they will then communicate their ideas to others. And often those ideas are incorrect. So tell your team as, as much as you can. And when you can't tell them as much as you would like, be as honest as you can. For example, if there's a strong chance that your team may be dissolved and one of your subordinates approaches you and asks if their job is on the line, if you say no, and then in three weeks, the person loses their job, that's likely a problem with everyone else who is remaining. So you could potentially say, you know, Bill, I, I don't have a magic ball, but things are clearly up in the air. I can't make any predictions, but if you were to look for another position, I certainly would understand and I would support you. Of course, I just have to say that a manager has to take into account the person who's asking the question their potential reaction, and what they may say to others. So again, there has to be, you know, how much does that person, does the manager trust the subordinate? So that has to be considered. Finally, written communication. And I can see we have, the slide is wrong here, but that's okay. Written communication is really vitally important as well. It used to be assumed that engineers didn't really need to know how to write but the reality is, regardless of industry, everybody knows needs to know how to craft a good quality email or a proposal. And this involves understanding a basic grammar, being able to write in a cohesive paragraph that flows well. And it also involves being concise and direct, avoid rambling. And with emails, it's really best to use bullets. It's much easier to read. And speaking of emails, try never to make them too long. In fact, don't make anything you expect your staff to read too long because they'll read the first couple bullets or the first paragraph, maybe the second paragraph, but will likely not get to the fifth, sixth, or eighth paragraph. You're better off to chunk those emails, you know, unless it's a one-time thing. If you, you know, generally are sending short ones and then this time say, look, this is a long email. I need everyone to read through it to understand it carefully. But in that case, I would follow up at the meeting to make sure everyone understood the, uh, the content and the spirit and so forth of, of the email. So 2020 has certainly shown us that we must be adaptable in most areas and most sectors. And when communicating virtually, there are really five elements that I would say top the best practices list. And they are first, meet with your team on a weekly basis. I, I really cannot stress this enough. Even if it's only for a half hour, it's really crucial because, you know, when we're working virtually, you don't have the opportunity to see folks in and around the office, um, you know, just walking by them in the hallway and noticing that 
you know, James is looking a little sad or, you know, Melissa's not coming out of her office, uh, you know, so this really can help keep the team cohesive and it can help you as a manager identify potential issues before they become really bigger issues. Second, meet weekly with your direct reports to ensure that they're feeling good and productive and determine if there are any issues again before they might become a bigger issue. Third is to set your communication standards with your team i.e. how quickly do you expect folks to respond to emails and how often should virtual meetings occur and so forth. And uh, number four is to deal with any communications issues as soon as they arise. Do not leave any communication issue to fester. And finally, you know, again, if you're a leader, you need to make yourself available to the entire team. You know, again, like when we were in the office, uh, you know, a junior person had the opportunity to run into, you know, the senior leader in the kitchen or in the hallway, walking in in the morning. So you need to make yourself available and let staff know that they can reach out to you. These these best practices will really help you keep your virtual team happy and feeling secure and, and ultimately keeping them productive and achieving, you know, the mission. So, I want to say thank you for joining today and just remember that interpersonal and communication skills are really both essential skills and they're thus vitally important in achieving success in the workplace. And they're even more important as we, you know, continue to, to operate remotely. 